Hi, I'm Elise Kennedy. Welcome to Jarvan's Startup Tech Series, where we host entrepreneurs, venture funds, and technology companies on trends across the industry. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Sam James, the Chief Strategy Officer and co-founder of SaaS tech company, Vowed. Thanks for joining us today, Sam. Thanks a lot, Elise. Thanks for having me. So to start, can you give us a bit more detail about Vowed? Absolutely. So Vault's a um, health tech, sports tech company, as we would sort of term ourselves. We basically specialize in human movement and, and measurement, generally as it relates to musculoskeletal health in general. So that's probably a bit of a mouthful, but we have a lot of uh, clients in elite sport and also in the private health and public health sector for that matter as well, which we just generally term as allied health. We make a suite of products all driven by software. I guess uh, we started with hardware, but where we sort of become much more of a SaaS, uh, SaaS and software business these days. And all of our systems are geared towards generally measuring how someone moves, how strong they are, things that relate to their musculoskeletal health. And then that also extends to managing their uh, exercise and rehabilitation programs and sort of gauging everything from subjective to objective measures to kind of take someone through a rehab journey, which would be the most common scenario, but then also generally relating to whatever their goals might be. So that might be just getting stronger or working towards a competition or obviously for an athlete, they'll generally have a target in mind as well. But that's a very broad description of everything we do. We have a range of, I think we're up to about eight products now, but they all basically form one system that sort of talks uh, to one another to generally measure and track how someone's uh, musculoskeletal health is over time. And so that customer said it started with the origins of the elite athlete, but it sounds as though you're keen to move into other verticals. Can you talk a bit more to those? Yeah, for sure. So our very first product probably uh, feeds back into where we all started. So we were, as a company, we were spun out of QUT, as uh, so a Queensland University of Technology here in Brisbane, uh, in Australia, where we're based. And it was our first product was a start off as a hardware device, basically for measuring hamstring strength that was invented by a couple of researchers at the university, Dr. Anthony Shield and Dr. David Opar. And they were doing a lot of research in elite sports. So they had a lot of connections in the AFL and they were basically using this device that they'd invented because there was nothing else that could do what they needed to do. They basically just built something to perform the research that they wanted to perform and then sort of fast forward a few years and, and they were getting a lot of interest from English Premier League teams, Major League Baseball teams and then just, you know, clinics around Brisbane and all, all kinds of different things. So but they definitely had a grounding in elite sport because of their networks and where they were doing research. And so eventually sort of long fast forward a few years after they originally invented it i'd worked with those two inventors to sort of prototype their device over the years that's how we were connected and then myself and my co-founder uh, laurie malone who's my best mate as well we sort of got to know the guys quite well over the years and we were sort of we ended up with the opportunity to spin out the technology into what became Vold from qt qt remain a reasonably significant shareholder but to take it forward from there. So I guess long story short, we, we had our, our foundation in elite sport and that's sort of where still the majority of our clients sit because that's where at least the first few products that we launched were very geared at. But we've got this very, this growing and accelerating client base now in, I guess, the sort of the next step down in the pyramid, which we would, in certainly in our vertical, we'd kind of call that uh, allied health. 
which is we're talking physioclinics, hospitals, orthopedic centres, uh, private sort of training and uh, exercise physiology clinics and things like that. And a lot of the time they're really trying to achieve most or all of the same things that an elite sporting team would be trying to achieve. But obviously just the, you know, the money's a little bit different. You're generally dealing with more people rather than a very small number of athletes in a team. So there's some of the dynamics that are different, but generally the people that we work with who are the physios, exercise physiologists, strength and conditioning coaches, the musculoskeletal professionals, have the same qualifications no matter what market they work in and we've been sort of naturally drawn into allied health uh, since we started which is which is obviously great and i think we were quite fortunate that we kind of made a name for ourselves in elite sport first because we've got all the sexy logos on our client list now you know we have all 20 english premier league teams of clients more than half of the nfl mlb nba you know so it all sounds very nice listing all that off but then when you compare that to the size of the allied health market, if you're looking at the size of, you know, the number of physio clinics there are on earth, for example, there'd be well over a million of those. So absolutely dwarfs elite sport. And given that they're dealing with a lot of the same issues, we've sort of slowly worked to take the technologies that we've developed and sort of adapt them more and more towards allied health. And we're trying to, we always try and, well, so it, we're, our goal is to democratise this technology, to make it available to more people. And allied health is the next obvious step because they're generally dealing with all the same things. They've got the exact same uses for the products. And now uh, as we grow and, you know, we've got a 30 plus strong engineering team now, uh, really our time spent on kind of adapting our existing solutions, mainly on the software side of things, just to be slightly more tailored to the different markets that we operate in. And then the sort of the third leg of the tripod now, I guess, and another market we've been pulled into very organically over the years is, as we would term it, tactical, which would sort of encompass military, first responders, government departments, things like that. So we have about 60 US military contracts, I believe, ranging across special forces down to sort of general operations and it's something where, you know, our products are being used to test like mechanics and things like that as well. So it's very almost like workplace health and safety when you get down to that level. It's not, it's a far cry from high performance, but again, dealing with musculoskeletal health and just generally trying to make people available and healthy so that they can do their jobs or be deployed in the military through to the government organizations. But there's, there's obviously quite a range, but they're the sort of three main verticals that we would say we operate in but the big theme between them is the practitioners who are dealing with our products generally with the same qualifications no matter what background they come from and they're trying to solve the same problems so it's probably a long-winded answer to your question Elise but that's uh, a bit of background about how how and where we operate. It sounds like you've got some great higher uh, customers in there and across quite a few verticals. I'm curious about how does Bold monetize these? You know, it's a SaaS-based model. Is it the same across all of them? Is it monthly-based? Can you tell me a bit more there? Yeah, so it's, it's generally a bearing revenue basis like most SaaS companies would be these days. So we have the hardware element to some of our systems, not all of them. So we have some software-only systems, uh, some hardware-only, uh, hardware and software systems, but they're all basically on a subscription basis. So the, the our average contract length is about three years. So we have quite long contracts and that's sort of on account of the fact that, you know, once our things are, uh, we take some time to embed them and then once they're embedded, they're, they're fairly sticky as well. So we don't get, we've been able to 
sort of maintain quite a long average contract. Sorry, that's a, that's a minimum contract length. So once someone signs up, they're signing up for three years. And I imagine churn would be one of the things that people would regularly ask about. Our churn numbers are very low. We, you can calculate that a million different ways. On a value basis, our churn is actually positive. So every time that someone has an opportunity to end their contract, they usually actually end up adding products to their existing contract. So an average basis. Uh, but yeah, so we're, we charge on a, a subscription basis, but then exactly how our customers pay tends to differ uh, from market to market. Like uh, we find in elite sport, they'll typically pay annually. Their budgets are seasonal. So, you know, there's the there's a football season that runs from X date to X date, and then their budget opens up again for next year. So it's very kind of easy to predict in that regard. Uh, allied health is uh, quite different. You'll have very large hospitals who sort of want to pay everything up front and just know what they're doing, down to very small clinics who will allow to pay weekly. So we're quite flexible with our payment terms there. And basically in the in the military or tactical, everyone wants just, just to pay every, everything up front because typically there's a chunk of money and if you don't spend it, you might not get it again. And you mentioned about the US military as one of your customers there. What is the geographical split of some of the revenue? So we, we're we a very international company. So we're Australian-based, obviously, and we don't... We don't have any immediate plans to change that. The way I've sort of heard it termed is we're, we're, we're probably a US company that's based in Australia, really. So 46% of our revenue comes out of the US and only about 13 from Australia. Australia is a very good market, um, but it's just a lot smaller and there's just less money. And so the US is our biggest market, followed by the UK. Europe as a whole is quite a big market for us. And then Asia and Oceania, uh, solid markets and, and uh, Asia in particular, quite emerging for us. Uh, mm-hmm. But the, the US is and has been for almost more or less since we started, been by far our biggest market. Very good geographical diverse mix there. Mm. And if we think about the industry as a whole, have you ever looked to try to size what is that total addressable market and what's it growing at? Yeah, it's a good question. Everyone likes to know what that looks like, obviously. And there's a, you know, there's a million different ways of, of cutting it up. And I can probably make the number as big as I, as I want, really, particularly when you're talking like something like health tech that I think everyone knows is enormous. But we sort of generally, you know, look at the number of organizations who could theoretically afford or be interested in, in our uh, sort of products, essentially look at the average contract value and that we have currently or that we project that we, we could have or may have in the future and then just sort of look at what the size of the market is that way. So I think we're, we're generally pretty conservative about that. But even saying that, like the total addressable market in elite sport, we would generally say there's probably about 8,000-ish sporting organisations of some type in around the world who might have an interest for systems like ours. And whereas, and that probably accounts for a few hundred million in recurring revenue in terms of total addressable market value. When you go to Allied Health, obviously it's much, much larger and harder to quantify, but you're, you're talking well into the billions at that point. And we put that number somewhere around six at a total addressable market value. But again, it's quite hard to quantify. And then in uh, tactical, uh, you're probably looking somewhere around the same size as elite sport. But having said that, you're sort of one presidency away from that changing quite significantly, given how much of a chunk of expenditure the U.S. take the U.S. military takes up for in a, in a global sense. Yeah, for sure, definitely hard to work out that talent for day job of us handlers often. <laughs> <Yeah>. which... <laughs> exactly, I'm, I'm sure you probably know better than I do, Elise. 
Oh, <laughs> you'd think so, you'd hope so. And I'm curious, Sam, about the competitive landscape. Who do you find yourself running up against if you are tendering against, you know, for the contracts that you've mentioned? So it sort of depends on the product because we, we have obviously quite a few products. Some of them have quite a few competitors. Uh, there'd be more than half of them that have very few or none. Uh, we've always been a company that's really, having started where we started with a product that was essentially invented because there was nothing else available to do what those researchers who invented it wanted to do. And we've seen how successful that that could be when uh, when you have that advantage of being at very least first mover, if not the only mover. So I'd say there are about half our products that we have really no competitors, no direct competitors in, uh, in that sense. Mm-hmm. And then the other half where we have some the biggest competitor often that we have, I would say in, in allied health in particular, being sort of the biggest market that we operate in, doing nothing would be the biggest competitor that we have quite often. There's definitely a, a big push in allied health towards technology and we've seen it just growing and growing and that appetite increasing and increasing in recent years. But it is an industry that's that's typically come from quite a, far, quite a way behind. You know, we're not talking about traditional med tech where you're talking about like surgical technology and MRIs and you know the stuff that's been embedded in hospitals and things like that for quite a long time we're in this this realm between sport and medicine in allied health where you're talking about physiotherapists and things like that which have been typically very low tech markets and I think anyone you speak to is well aware that this uh, that technology is coming and it won't be stopped but there are a lot of practitioners who would just choose who still their default option would be to do nothing and continue with manual therapy and their traditional treatments but that number is decreasing significantly over time and then outside of that obviously the just health tech in general there are a lot of companies I'm sure you've seen a lot of uh, IPOs and large raises from health tech software companies in particular. And so some of those sort of direct, uh, indirectly or um, partially directly compete with uh, some of our products, but there'd definitely be no company around the world that has a range of product offerings. And that's something that we sort of find that really sets us apart. And we kind of hope that it would always be a very strong selling point, but we have found that it, it really has been that being able to have all that under one roof and one point of contact, one login, all those things that seem quite simple and are actually very attractive to our, our customers because probably the other common commonality across all of our user groups is they're very, very short on time. So mm-hmm. uh, not, not having to mess around with logging into five different systems to look at five different pieces of data or spend a lot of time trying to aggregate those things. We have, have that essentially all under one roof and we we do all the reporting and analysis and everything you know, very nicely and digestibly, which is ultimately what time poor people need. Yeah. And you mentioned that the business evolved from, from the University of Queensland, um, the tech, in, tech university there. And then I'm just curious, how easy is it to replicate what Vol does? What are the barriers to entry? Well, so uh, so we have um, patents on a number of our uh, products, not not all of them, but so as an example, the, the very first product, the Nordboard, which was spun out of QUT, we have a, a patent in a, a number of different jurisdictions for that, which has been uh, very handy. There have been a few companies actually try to rip us off over the years. So having the patent is quite valuable there. But I'd say our, our biggest protection that we've always had is that we've been first mover 
and typically by far the fastest mover in the areas that we've operated in. So we, I think we would look back and say we've got a lot more value from just growing a business rapidly, scaling it well and selling, uh, building great products ultimately that, that will sell and then getting them in front of people aggressively and successfully has been our best defence, I guess, against uh, competitors or copycats. Uh, and that's a good segue to talk about some of the costs and the unit economics that exist within your business. It sounds yep. like R&D, if that's your key area of advantage, is that your biggest cost? And where do you see that trending over the next couple of years? Yeah, big time. So uh, R&D is probably always going to be our biggest cost, I would think. And certainly, and most of that comes down to people. You know, I think I mentioned yep. earlier, we've got a 30-ish strong engineering team now and the product team as a whole is about 50 I believe our, our business as a whole is about 100 so they mm-hmm. they account for half or more of our entire business and they're not cheap either if you've hired uh, engineers particularly in the current climate so that's a that's a big line item for us but our people are ultimately the ones who are building and delivering the the technologies and advancing them to keep us competitive or market leaders where we can be. And I guess the, that's going to remain the biggest line item for the foreseeable future. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, because we make hardware products, we have inventory costs, which are probably a, a bigger line item than your average SaaS company. But in the scheme of things, it's actually very low. Uh, GDP, on, even on our hardware products, is they look like SaaS products because of the the GP, which is very nice, and it means that our inventory costs are not enormous and they look quite small next to our staff costs. Sort of keep talking about staff, but our R&D is our staff, essentially. They're the people who are building it. And because software is where we do most of our uh, innovating and development at the moment, there's not too much in terms of consumable or hardware costs in that front. It's mainly people. So probably our biggest challenge as a business now, we've kind of moved past product being our biggest challenge and now it's people it's finding finding the right people growing the team you know we want to grow we we've got plenty more growing to do if we could find 20 new great engineers we'd hire them today and i think there's job ads job ads out for probably roughly that many but they're they're difficult to find these days so yes uh, it's gonna it's a big line item for us but we're sort of very comfortable with that i think there'd be there'd probably be something wrong if that wasn't the case yeah, it is a standpoint and something we see often across a lot of our tech coverage landscape. Yeah. We also though do see a lot of sales and marketing. I'm curious about how do you attract uh, the customers that you have and or retain them? Because we're a, we're largely a B2B business, we have one product that sells uh, to consumers, but it's actually gone phenomenally well with very little marketing spend. So, uh, and given that B2C is not typically our expertise, we don't invest a whole heap of time and effort in it. But it, largely, it's yeah, it's definitely not your traditional sort of pump money into the Google Ads funnel and and conversions come out the other end. It's not quite that. And yeah, we're very uh, the the markets we operate in are very dependent on reputation and. They're very evidence and research led. So, and particularly given that's where we came from originally, you know, we were, our first product was created out of a, a university. And, and if it weren't for the successful research behind it, that never would have happened. So a lot of companies would approach that the other way around where they'd build, you know, come up with a, a great idea, build a product and then try to prove that it works. Whereas that was not how it was approached with our 
first product that it was purely an enabler to make research happen. And obviously the research proved that the device did its job. So we've sort of always come at it that way where we can to try and be very evidence-based to to partner with universities, not just QUT. We have, I don't know, four, five, six, eight other formal partnerships with universities in Australia and around the world to kind of constantly research using our products. Usually our products are the sole focus of the research. It's their enablers to uh, determine some outcome. And there's sort of, there'd be any number of studies going on at any time around the world with different universities and being published you know, on our different products. And that's one of the biggest marketing avenues we have, even though it's obviously not something that's tangible, it's not paid for. Those things come down to relationships largely. But then when we do have that, probably until a couple of years ago, we had a very, very small marketing team. So we probably, for quite a long time, we didn't do a great job of really turning that into something that was could be seen by a lot of people. So, but in the last couple of years, we have invested pretty heavily in our marketing and sales teams. And with the the growth of the marketing team, we've just done a lot better job at, I guess, communicating those, uh, the research and those things that are being done by our users in in the field to sort of really just educate others about our products and and give them exposure to them. But we're definitely not, the markets we operate in don't at all lend themselves to hard or traditional selling. So it has to be very educational based and that's how we've always operated. And again, we were probably a little too conservative about it in the early days, but we still, even as we've picked up and been a lot more active with our marketing in recent recent times. We've kept that theme of being very evidence-based and very factual about how we market things and not, not ever overstating what our products can do and always acknowledging their shortcomings, which every product has. And I think that's something that's done our business's reputation a lot of good. We probably hoped that that would be the case in the early days, but I think it has worked out quite well that a lot of our relationships with our customers and the market in general is very good and very trusting because we're not jamming things down people's throats. And that's something that's not received particularly well in the markets that we operate in, where you've got highly educated professionals who are buying these things and they can... And I'm curious about... Your strategies for growth, is it around, you know, eight products now and building out more of the products suite? It sounds like you've got so many different potential customers, potentially within that allied health, but then you've also got geographical expansion. Obviously, you want to do it all, but where do we think over the next three years most of the growth is going to come from? So it probably will from, be from all of those things in the next <laughs> few years, I'd say. I'd say that at the moment, like historically, we've um, we've, we've always looked to add products to our suite where where it made sense so it's always very it's a sort of driven by the market and our business needs more so rather than being opportunistic i guess so we'll be interested in a certain technology or a certain type of product that might solve a problem that would kind of fit in nicely with our other products that Mm -hmm. might let might lead us to acquire another business or build something ourselves internally we would generally weigh both of those things up evenly we have you know plenty of expertise to build new products and new technologies internally, but we're not so proud as to not acknowledge when someone else has done it probably better than we can. So we have made acquisitions over the years. And I think we'll generally continue that where if there are any complementary technologies or products that we think could build out our suite and would be beneficial for our current users and also the the markets that we want to grow in, we would always look at those. And we actually have a 
a couple of new products internally in the works at the moment that I can't say too much about. But again, just very complementary things that will no doubt sell well to our existing markets and, the, and help grow the the, the markets that we want to do better in in the future. So like as a very R&D heavy company, that's always something that's on the radar. You know, what's, what is out there that's new, that's being done by other people or even just emerging technologies that are coming out of universities and things like that. But at, at this moment in time, currently most of our R&D work is going into tailoring our existing systems to those three market verticals, performance, health and tactical and really just making our systems more tightly interconnected, more fit for purpose uh, and helping them to really, it's, it's down to communicating the right things. We would say as a business, we always say we try to give practitioners the right information for the right decision at the right time. Uh, it's uh, one of our slogans and that's essentially what we're trying to do with those practitioners having slightly different needs depending on which uh, what type of environment they, they operate in. So there's a lot of engineering hours going into fairly unsexy development at the moment in just really making those systems fit for purpose. And we're really what we're doing is we're creating enterprise solutions for each of those market verticals. So we're now at the point where we deal with very, very large organizations in each of those verticals, in you know, large sporting organizations, large health organizations like hospitals and hospital groups, which might include multiple locations and Obviously, in the military, you can be looking at hundreds or thousands of soldiers in you know, platoons and things like that, where it's very, very large numbers and having you know, sort of seamless fit-for-purpose systems is very important. So that's where a lot of time is getting spent at the moment, but that's new products are also always on the horizon. Geographically, we obviously have our historically strongest markets like the US, UK, Australia, but we're in a phase of hiring uh, quite a lot of sales staff at the moment in jurisdictions where we traditionally have not had anyone anymore. So quite a few countries in, in Europe, uh, Asia, uh, Central and South America, I believe, and more in the jurisdictions where we've done well in the past. Like the US is just such a huge opportunity that we'll kind of probably always be looking for more people in the US. But we're very much looking to expand into areas that we haven't gone before. And so probably alongside our hiring in engineering and product department would be sales. So where we are sort of balancing that fairly evenly with where the growth is going to come in the in the short term. Yeah. And then uh, I think there, there are probably a, a few different other avenues uh, for growth, depending on kind of what the, the market does in the coming years. You know, the, the sort of pool of data that we're building, you know, ultimately where we're collecting data on millions of uh, well, thousands and thousands and millions of patients, athletes, uh, personnel, uh, on their uh, musculoskeletal health and performance. And that's sort of creating a pool of data that I would imagine at some point starts to become attractive to insurers and very, very large organisations and, and governing bodies uh, around the world. Now, that's not something that we're pinning our hopes to by any means. Like we have, we have and have always had our success from just making great products and selling them to users who, who get value out of them rather than trying to become a you know a, to sell our data necessarily but there are some movements in the market and some probably some prevailing market conditions that may open some other big opportunities that haven't been there in the past in the coming years because this is just only these types of technologies are only getting more and more prevalent and we're adding you know hundreds and hundreds of clients every year which are testing each testing 
hundreds or thousands of, of more people. So it's, it is starting to create a, a fairly large data set that you can start to do some really interesting things with in terms of uh, machine learning and AI and, and some very interesting modeling um, based on that. Yeah, it sounds like you have a lot on your plate and a lot of areas to grill by. So Sam James, the Chief Strategy Officer and Co-Founder of SAS Tech Business Vault, thank you once again for being on our Talking Tech series. Anyone else that's on the line, please do reach out to myself or Sam if you did have any other follow-ups. Thanks again. Thanks a lot, Elise. Thanks for having me.